0: Hello, welcome back. Uh, it's Temporary Fandoms. I forgot to mention what episode it is earlier on, but we've recorded so many and we're not sure which order they're going out. It's episode. Uh, uh. Um, we are looking at Japanese band Number Girl. Um, still with me is, as usual, Nick. Hello. Uh, Chris Whitby. Hello. And Glenn Hodgson. Hi. And, well, we might as well get cracking. Um, before we start, there's going to be some terrible pronunciation of things and a distinct lack of knowledge of Japanese culture, by a good chunk of the panel. No offense is intended um, to anybody, but it might happen. But then again, we probably offended our only German listeners during Cannes, <laughs> um, or, or I did. So we'll, we'll see how this works. Um, so, Number Girl. Um, a few weeks ago, I asked everybody here um, to listen to this band, um, which I think for the first time for everybody, um, a band that were formed in the 90s uh in, in Japan um lead singer uh, Mukai Shutoku or Shutoku Mukai I don't know which is supposed to be first and which is supposed to be last cuz in Japan the surname comes first but most things I have read refer to him as Shutoku so that's what I will do um massive influence from bands such as Husker do the Pixies um a lot of sort of post melodic post hardcore stuff that maybe was quite common in in the US in the early 90s he brought over with his band um, to Japan, sort of late 90s. Mm-hmm. It's a band that existed for five, six years, um, but apparently, according to the five pages of the internet that I can see, um, have had massive impact. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with um, the first album, which was uh, indie, on their indie label, Automatic Kiss, is yeah, Schoolgirl Bye-Bye. A schoolgirl motif we're going <laughs> to touch upon yeah. a few times. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was 1997. It opens with Day in my head, which I think is basically a, a fucking great Pixies song. Um, and it just bangs away. No, it, it's nothing crazy. There's nothing out there. We've got the Pixies. Um, I'm going to go straight to you, Nick, because um, you had reticence well, with, with this. I, I
1: I I don't know if I ever actually told you this, Ewan, and uh, now seems as good a time as any, but I don't actually like the Pixies and Husker do all that much. <laughs> and most people assume that I will because of other things that I like from the period of music of a lot of the stuff that I like. It's not fair to say I don't like them. I just don't, I don't feel the love for them that other people do. Um, and as often the case with bands that we look at when it's, you know, if, if there's a lot of love for them from other people, I kind of, I want a bit of it. I want to know why I don't like it. I try and try to understand that. But um yeah. so Pixies in particular, I always think I should like them more than I do. Anyway, sounds a lot like the Pixies in Husker Do, doesn't it? Um, really do. <laughs> but also, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be honest, straight up, straight up, that I kind of, I struggled a lot with these records to find a way into them. And I certainly didn't really, connect with any of them until the third and fourth albums um so these first two albums are for my, to my ears um kind of essentially indie landfill and and <laughs> but but at the same time i feel that i i'm i don't want to be too hasty to dismiss it because i feel if i understood more about the band the cultural context the language i might find a way into these songs but from music alone, I'm not, I'm not quite getting there at this stage.
0: Okay, okay. Well, we'll come back to the cultural stuff from what we can gather after we sort of have first impressions from everyone. Chris, um, you have come on before and read out from your, your, your notebook of... There it is. There's the notebook. What are your notes on the, opener, on the opening album, uh, Schoolgirl Bye-Bye? Uh, I should
2: add to this that I listened to two, three, and four before I listened to one. Which might be a temporary fandom schoolboy by error. So, so I'm going to do it in the context of that that I think that um, this one doesn't really do them justice. I think mm-hmm. I think there's a much bigger, there's a really big influence that we've not mentioned yet, which I'm not going to mention until the second one that kind of comes through much stronger. And I think they get much better when they. Is uh, it shellac? Uh, I've not, got shellac written down. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not shellac, uh, but okay. it's very, very close to that. I am um, the thing that really, as I have done other podcasts, you know how much I love to just reference another band to help me try and understand another band. And the one for this for me was definitely like, um, you know, when you heard Trailer Park by Ash and you kind of were like, well, there's a band in here who are quite good, but they haven't quite done it yet. And you know, something better is going to come. That's how I feel about this. It's basically Trailer Park by Ash, but Number Girl. That's how I feel about it. And I feel like it's just very jangly. There's a few bits there. There was like almost like twee at points as well, actually. And I just found it a little bit. It's just a standard college rock album of that time, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You would oh, kind yeah. of, yeah, that's it, basically. If someone gave it to you and, they, you know, when you were at college, you were like, yeah, it's fine. This is good. But, yeah, it's kind of a bit neither here nor there, my feeling.
0: I mean, I would say, I mean, like, I, I, mean I don't know what 1997 was like for Japanese indie kids, but I don't imagine uh, all of them were aware that or that that aware of this sort of style and um apparently a lot of the music at the time was very heavy or it was very jangly but there was no guitar based jangly and this was one of the first few to come through mm-hmm. um glenn i mean this is i mean you're, you're on the podcast with
3: myself and nick nick and i this the, the pixies were our age even if he didn't like well, them. i think the comment that you said about pixies is kind of interesting because like so think about how many times people actually mentioned the pixies and are like like even when I was younger, right? When I was like 16, 17, you know, people being like, oh my God, Pixies are like the best band ever. And then I listened to it and I was like, this is kind of like, not shit, but it's like nothing special. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Exactly, right? Try try showing Pixies to someone who's never heard them before and be like, oh my God, this this band really changed like guitar music. Mm -hmm. And then you show it to them and they'll be like, what? Like, like, are you kidding? (laughs) You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like, that's not to say I don't love Pixies because I do, but I definitely remember... Maybe I felt like that when I first heard it. Like, what? Like, what is all the fuss about with this? Like, it sounds yeah. kind of like they're half-assed, not half-assed playing, but like, it's full of mistakes and... But obviously, that's part of the charm of Pixies, but I can totally understand why, because they're so, like, so hyped as, like, this band that inspired Nirvana and everyone knows how influential they were, and you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah totally. I mean, even on this, I mean, this, there's a lot of bands who say the Pixies were...
0: Uh, a band who have been a reference point for us or an influence for us, it's rare to hear something that is, we like the Pixies. Listen to this. This sounds like the Pixies. I mean, Iggy Pop Fan Club is gigantic by the Pixies. It has the same rhythm. It has the same chord changes. But when when I've got this on, when I've been cooking or washing up recently, I'm bouncing around the kitchen, even though I know it's derivative,
3: because it's derivative
1: of something I liked. (laughs) Yeah, exactly of a thing you like is a good thing
3: I'm, I'm, that's fine i think what i found difficult about this first album was that you know like how i was saying that when you show pixies to someone for the first time they might be like oh it sounds kind of like not cheap but sounds kind of crappy you know
1: yeah and yeah. uh
3: that was probably the thing that i struggled with the most on this first album like i mean some yep. of my notes were literally like like i was like what the fuck <laughs> like, <laughs> did, you, did you consider
1: them in uh, chronological order glenn
3: I did, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I, I did too, and I, and it is one of the things with the way we approach records that can sometimes do a band a disservice, because obviously I'm going into that first record thinking, well, Ewan clearly thinks Number Girl are great. Come on, Number Girl, impress me. And then you listen to them sort of like, as they sort of like juvenile record where they're still figuring shit out, and you think, hmm, it's not all that, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you you start on a kind of slightly dismissive but which isn't exactly think, fair. Yeah, for
0: sure. I, I think that's definitely that. I mean, when, when I first found Number Girl. I th- it was only uh, three or four years ago. I think they had some, there were reissues in the mm. US and Pitchfork. I was reading Pitchfork uh, much to my chagrin. And there was a whole <laughs> article. I'll mention. Of- <laughs> whole article. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's our sponsorship going on. Uh, there was an article uh, reviewing um, albums 234 because they were the ones that got re-released because they were the major label ones. And yeah. so I listened to them in that order. two, three, four, one, one uh, yeah. Which... And I will say, obviously, when we get to it, we'll talk more about the second album. The first album is shunky. um, It is derivative. But after a while, I just jangle around, you know? I mean, and is there a thing also, when we're looking at bands um, who are not from, say, the UK, not from America, not from around here, who are echoing a sound that we know, does there tend to be a sort of Anglo-centric sneer? You know, oh, look, it's a French band sounding like... No, no. I mean, I, I
1: certainly wondered like, you know, to what extent there would have been anyone in their audience who would be thinking, well, they sound like the Pixies. I mean, I don't know if that was, a th- but I, I I don't know. It might've been a thing. Maybe those bands did have a following over there. I have no idea. That's the thing. I have, I, I don't, I have the context to say that they did or they didn't.
0: Um, just, just, just as a, a side point, listen, uh, Nick didn't discover there was a Wikipedia page until five minutes before we started. What's this.
1: Wikipedia? <laughs>
0: Encyclopedia. The books they used to sell to your nan <laughs> on the internet. Now, nah, um, But yeah, it is, it is a weird one. And it is hard to, be, to get that cultural reference. Um, I mean, there's not a massive amount to really say about the first album, except the first album got them a massive record. Uh, they signed to EMI um, in 98, and it was in 99 where they got their first proper record, uh, first proper release. <laughs> So, no more schoolgirl bye bye. Oh, it's schoolgirl distortion addict. This is probably the time before we talk about the record to maybe talk about the schoolgirl iconography. And yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not Japanese. I, from what I have read, um, it was more of a representation of nostalgia for youth and schoolgirl being that sort of iconography. Mm-hmm. And also, 1999 was the year Battle Royale came out the book, not the movie. And so there was obviously this sort of zeitgeist globally of the sort of schoolgirl with a machine gun, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to go straight to Glenn because he seemed to grab a piece of paper while I was talking. He's got a prepared statement. (laughs) Uh, I
3: haven't got a prepared statement about schoolgirls, but I mean... (laughs) he's asked me to read the following statement. But yeah i don't know the image of school girls and school kids is kind of everywhere in japan and for good or bad do you know what i mean like some of it's quite creepy and bizarre and other times it's like like you say a school girl with a machine gun and uh yeah i honestly can't explain why i have no idea but you know there's a complete fascination with it like uh, so many levels of japanese culture it's yeah. like you know just the kind of school uniform look and even i think on their album cover i think I've just seen mm-hmm. it was one of the album covers, but just that kind of image is quite uh, it's used a lot in Japan for sure.
0: Yeah, and it's a hard one to look at because what I've read, some people use it as a like I said, a representation or a hark back to nostalgia. And the first album which we just looked at, a lot of the a lot of the the songs were about this sort of sweet no- nostalgia for youth and feeling innocent as a child. And oh in my head is like reminiscence memories in my head um this album continues that motif and i don't know whether it's nostalgia i don't know whether it's look at the ch- look at the schoolgirl uniform um chris um you, when we were starting this you were like are we going to have 40 minutes of talking about is this okay um is this okay uh
2: i suppose that context like glenn was just saying then does help in the sense it doesn't make it right but at least it provides some context. Like I think if you're a band based in the UK and yeah. that was your cover at any time in the last 30 years, there'd be, I'm, I'm probably, con- I'm trying to think if I could think of a band that has had a cover like that, which I can't, I'm sure there is some, but you would, I think you would not get much of a pass. There would be a few questions raised in a few high level meetings, <laughs> wouldn't there? But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So the context is difficult, isn't it? I don't know. It is a difficult one. I don't know. Like you say, I did. Battle Royale was the first thing that came into mind. So it is interesting that that's the kind of motif that we've taken it. Well, in the circles I would roll in anyway have taken over here as well as your only reference point, and that's where a lot of it comes from. But is it right? I don't know. I don't know what to well, pin my. thing mask? is,
1: it's for all we know, they might be mocking it. That's that's the problem yeah. with listening to music where you don't know what they're singing about. Um, well, and, and you was- know, there's a, a heavy motif which ostensibly is something. Incredibly creepy and makes you think, I'm not sure about this. But maybe if you understood it, you'd think, oh, yeah, I see what they're doing. I don't know, though. They're probably not doing that. It's probably just creepy as fuck.
0: No, no, from what I've looked at, I mean, I, I, did, I did send around a link of, of or basically everything translated. We'll put a link in the episode description. And somebody has translated and added some cultural reference points yeah, to, to some of the songs. And it does seem that the whole schoolgirl thing is nostalgia. And if you follow the band's lyrics to the four albums, we get from innocence to sort of slightly sort of late teens, pissed offness to outright anger. To full and on, and on sexually people. knowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, so Song that's, title. Oh God. The song, that, that's, that's this album, right? Yeah, that is uh, it. So yeah. we can talk about yeah, that, yeah, on that one now. Yeah. Oh, what have we got? We've got schoolgirls sexually knowing. Yeah. Um, the is a, it's actually called young girl 17
2: sexually knowing it's very oh, specific
3: is it young girl parentheses 17 like you know not that <laughs> not that young it's not a baby <laughs> it's not a child yeah and <laughs> also how so, old how, were they then
1: you yeah, know that's the question that also changes the context ask. you know like i'm 47 if i talk about 17 year old <laughs> schoolgirls, people you know are going to ask questions. But if they were also in the late teens, then it's slightly different,
3: isn't you it? You kind of get the feeling that it was. It has that kind of, like you said, youthful college rock album. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that said, I mean, a lot of college rock b- bands now, you, you know, <laughs> you take a look at them, they look like a you know, a bit of a state. I mean, I'm pretty, um, sure, I'm pretty sure even li- during the 90s, I mean, college rock bands were I mean, actually
0: men. I will men. say, if you look at the translations, I mean, I mean, I'm going to read this. I mean, obviously in that sort of comical Japanese to English translation that never sort of works very well. Um, We've got the first verse is about the sky's color has a UFO, uh, red light, house cat. Uh, I knew since childhood there were many house cat house cat girls. Maybe, don't know what that is. Then he shouts girl 17 sexually knowing twice. And then about a man in a worthless situation sitting in town streets forever, looking from the rooftops. What did that victorious crow silhouette know? And then repeats the young girl <laughs> 17 sexually knowing. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's sort of leering in a St. Trinian's type way. We don't know. I mean, okay, we could... We, sorry, Chris. I don't know. If you've got silhouettes, that's dark. There's some,
2: you're in the dark. There's, a, there's some questionable motifs going on there. I'm not sure that they're helping themselves with those, uh, with those lyrics.
1: I was just thinking, I'm hoping that somewhere in, in Japan, there's a Japanese podcast where they're poring over uh, uh, fall songs, trying to work out if Marky e. Smith was a paedophile.
3: And someone's going, that Blur Country House video, they're all dressed as schoolgirls. The, the thing is that's funny about Japanese bands is that a lot of them use English lyrics like every now and then. It'll be like all Japanese, like you don't understand a thing. And then suddenly it'll be like schoolboy disco, like in the middle of the song, and then it goes on to the next bar. But it's like, it happens in a lot of Japanese uh, pop stuff. But I don't think we have the same kind of translation. We don't take like Japanese words and use them in, you know, you don't get British indie bands doing that. Um. I-
0: as an aside, um, I live in Spain, and um, if everybody remembers Terminator 2, Judgment Day, um, the one thing that Arnie was taught was hasta la vista, baby, right? And because it was a bit of, it was in Spanish. Now, in Spain, the Spanish version doesn't have hasta la vista, baby, because it's obviously dubbed in Spanish. They have sayonara, baby.
1: Ah, uh, okay. is
0: mean, this whole thing of just throwing this. That, I mean, that means nothing to what we're talking about. I just it just popped into my head um but yeah i mean there is a thing and it's funny what you said glenn about a lot of it can be in japanese and then suddenly there's an english bit i don't know about you guys i find myself just singing english stuff there'll be one line in english and i'll just carry on walking around singing what sounds like i'm hearing but it's obviously not what i'm hearing
2: <laughs> in that's, Eng- that's in just english. you
0: <laughs> do you have examples of said uh yeah
2: you know uh, experiments
3: that'd be great yeah some freestyle kind of uh I don't know what your vocal styles are like, but it'd be nice you're to like, hear that. You're actually. like
2: the John Cage of temporary fandoms. Just <laughs> experimenting and just saying what comes into your mind. That's it. Wow. You're warming
3: He's well, having a I'm drink awesome he's, he's, well. he's, he's, he's Yeah. So he's got ready.
1: the orange juice out now. He means business. <laughs> <laughs> on, sh- everyone, he's getting ready. Let's just give you a little bit quiet, a little bit of space. Anyway. Oh, um, fuck it now. Go on. So,
0: okay. Let's go to the actual album itself. I mean, there were going to be questions. We don't know about context and, you know, who knows? Um, the last album, obviously, it wore its heart on its sleeve. This album, I mean, there's a song called "Pixie Do" for fuck's yeah. sake. Pixies, Husker Do. I mean, you couldn't really get much more than that. It's like the fall had "I Am Damo Suzuki." I mean, yeah, yeah. shouting out to your references in that way is is quite a nice thing. It's it's 36 minutes long. It bangs away with loads of catchy, catchy, catchy tunes. Um, Was it? showed Shouju, which I think is Transparent Girl, is an absolute banger. Um, Chris, you've just put everything on mute. I'm going to ask you to unmute because you said there's another band you're going to mention for this album, so I'm going straight to you first. Uh, Sonic Youth. Okay. That's it. For me, it just sounds like, you know, all those songs
2: um, kind of towards the end of Dirty and a lot of goo um, where they're just basically like full on. Just like really fast like kind of like jangly but really distorted pounding drums it's all very like tom heavy just it just sounds exactly like all the good songs. not good son- they're all good the
3: sonnet youth songs but uh <laughs> the particularly like powerful sonnet youth songs um yeah no totally um, glenn yeah i actually th- they reminded me a lot of one of my favorite bands uh which the acronym is i could top but that stands for uh and you will know us by the trail of dead um, yeah, yeah. they actually had a very similar uh, to, the, to the Sonic Youth feel because I, I feel like Trail of Dead covered that kind of driving Sonic Youth sound but definitely uh, I don't know if you know Trail of Dead but there's a song of theirs called uh, Flood of Red which has a real uh, it's like some of the heaviest like post hardcore sound but that was like a real formative band for me so wh- I mean I only really noticed it the second time listening when I was listening with like proper headphones and stuff and I was like oh actually a lot of this does remind me a lot of Trail of Dead. And I don't know, This that second album just has a much more, cons- I don't know if concise is the word, it's just a bit more purposeful, each of the songs. I, I would agree with
2: purposeful. And I think, yeah, Trail of Dead's a really good reference because like the other thing that I really thought about this album is it really sounds like a band like playing live in a room. Like it sounds really direct, really driving. And now you've said Trail of Dead because I was trying to imagine what they would look like live, like what kind of atmosphere it would be. And I, now, yeah, I think I remember seeing Trail of Dead at Leeds Festival once. And it was just chaos. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was just like really tight, but there was just this real ferociousness to it. And I think that's a great reference. Yeah, I think you're right. Totally. I totally agree with that.
0: No, t- t- I mean, no, I, I, I got the Sonic Youth thing. There was a bit of, what's it, the guitar from, what's the one where Chuck D phoned it in? Cool, cool thing. thing. There was a bit of cool thing about some of the guitars on, on here. Um, I mean, we've got, we got like, Shotoku Mukai, who's the singer, but uh, Hisaku Hamachi? Again, pronunciations, is, um, I mean, if I was 17 and I got into this band, she would be my guitar crush. You know, she's amazingly talented. Um, On this album, both her, uh, Kentaro Nakaro and Ahito Inazawa, the bassist and drummer, they seem to be able to do more a little bit. Uh, They are tighter. This is a proper label debut this is a band that go, hello, this this is my band. This this is what we're about. It takes what they did in the previous one and sort of expands on it, but doesn't really go too far. Um, Nick. You, well, uh, you got through the first one. You were like, <laughs> Oh God, I've got to listen to this. But then I did make you and listen to Can and thirty-three fall albums. That is um, true. That is true.
3: Ouch.
0: <laughs> 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 so so where are you on this one, Nick?
1: Um, Well, like like I say, I I was still not quite there with them. Um, I didn't find much. It's it's more the sort of thing where you listen to a record and there's not much in the way of individual tracks that I connected with or I could talk about. So, you know, there's there's things I like about it. There's sort of, there is that sort of sense of a a band that always sound on the brink of falling apart. And I I like that. Uh, That's nice thing. And I I understand that this was a fan favorite as well, which is kind of interesting because for me, I much preferred albums three and four, but I'm just wondering if, Again, in in the context of their fame in Japan, if this was like when they just suddenly broke massive, so this is the point people fell in love with them. And that's why this is people's favorite album, because that tends to be how it works.
0: Yeah, this was, from what I can gather, the commercial, the initial commercial success, it's the most commercial in -hmm. terms of it's tight and less experimental that you get, or heavy as you get later on. Um, And so for a lot of people, this is the album. Mm -hmm. I think most of us, when, we were putting this, when I was putting this together, I thought most of us are probably going to veer towards the latter end. But this was my gateway. This was the one I got into yep. and went, oh, hello. Well, I like this. And 30, 36 minutes, done. Yeah.
2: Really? yeah, I'm a big fan of that 36 minutes thing. This is definitely the kind of album that if you went for 46 to minutes, yeah. too much.
3: Well, I feel like yeah. that's the mistake they made on the first one. Yeah, like, I, I agree. Mean, with some of my overriding notes here, I've got like uh, just like long – repetitive on the whole <laughs> but um, and not to say mainly, I, didn't, I didn't like it uh, but some, wh- some of the production on that first one I was really like what I mean did you guys notice some of the weird like song two at the end of song two it just randomly fades into a new song and then fades out really quickly and it's like <laughs> wait what was what was that they're completely <laughs> yeah, yeah. unrelated and then I know song four is like like I love uh Japanese I, I, like what I consider like a Japanese uh drum sound like there's so many bands that are. I've released stuff in the last five or 10 years that I would say really have this Japanese sound and it's all about like open roomy drums and stuff. But uh, the drum sound on song four, it's like so distorted. I wasn't sure if it was like my YouTube
1: no, I that version that I had, yeah. but I
3: actually thought, no, no, this is definitely a choice that they've made because the other songs aren't like that. It's just like, almost like they've pumped everything up and they're like, yeah, it sounds great when it's distorting like that. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It sounds terrible.
2: I had this uh, We on this album as well the song go back to early on the young girl 17 sexually knowing to give its full title every time that we deal with it um, <laughs> I had this weird thing with that song where um, I do this thing with some friends where we share a playlist of songs every two weeks so we, you know, these are the songs we're listening to uh, yeah I know disclaimer on this one uh, but I found every time I played the album this one which was a lot every time that song came on I was like this song is an absolute banger it has to go on the playlist I realised I'd done it every time but for some reason every time I heard it, it was like, i would never heard it before. And I was like, I can't believe how good this song is. It was quite weird, which is quite <laughs> okay. unusual because sometimes with, obviously when you're listening over and over again, you kind of get a bit um, uh, sanitized to it or anesthetized to it. But I did find with this one, there's something about it where, yeah, I dunno, every time there was one that stood out, well, that one stood out every time, but the one stood out more than last time. And it did have like a, an excitement to it. Like I can imagine if you were, like I say, 17, 18, and you heard this. Not to down, not all about age, but like that, at that time, I could imagine hearing this at college and thinking, imagining this would be an amazing album, like a massive thing that had a big impact on
0: And the videos of their live shows, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, I, I lived in various parts of the UK and I've been, or I've been to live shows in various parts of Europe. Some, band, some, some audiences stand still, Brighton, I'm looking at you. Some audiences leap around and jump around the Midlands and the North, I'm looking at you. Um, videos of Number Girl live gigs, the crowd goes fucking wild. Yeah. I mean, they are up and, up, up and bouncing. I mean, whether or not that's a, a cult. Glenn, you played Japan. Tell me that your, your audience was bouncing around or were they standing uh, I was kind of things?
3: hoping that you would ask about Japanese audiences because it's the most unusual uh, experience, I think. Like, so usually, even in the UK, you know, you'll play a song and afterwards people are like, Whoa, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. You know, and there's a, like a bit of chatter, some like drinks clinking and, you know, then you'll turn to your mate and maybe like, oh, you know, you'll say something. In Japan, it's like, ah! and it's like totally dead. It's <laughs> the most unusual, like, as in they'll cheer and it's like, Shh! and then like wow. literally as if someone's died in the room and, and it's the most like disarming silence ever because you're like, like shit. I- is everything okay they like it no no one's talking like they're completely silent and it's like it's just uh like a kind of japanese cultural thing at gigs to show respect or whatever but um from the stuff that i saw for number girl i mean i'm sure if you were there you would actually notice it and then people are like yeah and it looks like they're going absolutely crazy and then it's complete silence like not that no one's drinking but they don't have the same drinking culture that you have in gigs in the uk or the us or europe or whatever where you know, you go out to have a beer with your friends.
2: I was interested actually because you said a minute ago that this was their late major label debut. You said they got signed to EMI, which obviously is a pretty big label. Was that? Do you know whether there was a period in which they were like gobbling up bands of a certain type in a certain part of the world, or they were unusually that they got signed to it? Were they like a, a, an outlier in that?
0: Um, from what I can gather, like, it, there wasn't a um, there wasn't a massive sort of hoovering up of bands like them. Because at the time, um, there wasn't a lot of stuff really like that. There was the hard, there was, I think Japanese music was what? Um, Cornelius and um, who, oh, I forget him the name. Don't ask me. <laughs> Sorry, I'll edit this. I'll edit this out. But
3: Japanese music wasn't particularly indie melodic um yeah cornelius was that kind of sample not sample a delicate or whatever they call it but that wow. sort of a uh, really i mean i literally i love cornelius but i was reading about him the other day and he, they that was a term that people used at one point it was kind of like almost glitchy band uh-huh. sound you know what i mean but i guess because cornelius was getting big at the same time as things like electronic music that yeah. they hadn't um, really from I, it Then,
0: from what i could gather when i was doing a little bit research like they they, they basically got quite high profile uh, in the indie rock scene. Uh, AMI signed them, and I think they played South by Southwest in the UA, in the US that year, as a, not condescending, Japan night. Um, so obviously they wheeled out all the Japanese bands yeah. uh, uh, for that. I think that's interesting, because
2: when you first um, suggested them, just like that indie rock sound is not, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm at the risk of just generalising, but it's not a sound I associate with Japanese bands, because you know, the sound that is the most kind of, let's say, the Japanese bands I would like in my kind of other listening would be things like Boris, Mersbo, Acid Mother's Temple, you know, um, the Boredoms particularly, actually, kind of fall down, that kind of more noise experimental. So it was surprising to hear a band. There are a couple of other reference points, I'm going to come back to them later, but it was quite unusual to have a band like that from Japan. I just can't work out whether, I suppose, it's a discredit to them earlier on to not really take into consideration how much that might have been, usual to have that kind of like you say the college rock thing is quite interesting because that time going back to Sonic Youth thing you know there was a bit of a spreading of boredoms around the world
0: yeah no no totally um if anyone's got anything else to say about this album in particular
3: Glenn yeah I mean I feel like this was what 1999 yeah I feel like in 1999 that there was like quite a big wave of post hardcore from the United States anyway it's like more established bands from maybe the late eighties, early nineties, like Fugazi and loads of that kind of DC hardcore stuff. It's like that had really germinated in places like the UK, Europe. So it was quite natural that you'd get bands popping up that in that country would be like, oh, this is completely fresh sound. But um I think it's kind of a bit of a testament to how I mean this is why I love post hardcore because I do. It just makes it makes that kind of music quite accessible because it's it's actually quite simple music. So in the same way that punk rock or post-punk was maybe 10 or 20 years before, 30 years, whatever. It's just like quite an accessible kind of music that people can pick up a guitar and it's not, it's not rocket science to play it. You know what I mean? You don't really need to be a, like a jazz or particularly trained. You can learn them yourself. And that's probably why, uh, you know, you start getting bands like, uh, um, bands like Number Girl in Japan. And then also the bands that Number Girl inspired, you know, they would see this band playing being like, you know, I could probably do that. You know,
0: let's try it. Yeah, absolutely. And totally. also other influences that uh, Shutoku Mukai has, has cited were things like the Ramones. So mm. the idea of just picking up a guitar and going, yeah, I can do that. Exactly. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll come to the influences or their influence on other acts, if you don't mind, at the end, because uh, I think that's a good conversation point when we, when we sort of try and wrap up. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to say that you have a least favorite music producer. I have a least favorite music producer, um, and it's David Friedman. Now, David Friedman was responsible for some amazing flaming lip stuff and then turned up at other bands and turned everything up to 11, like literally all the sounds, this goes up, all the noise, all the noise, all the noise, and David Friedman turns up for the next album. They get a big U.S. producer, and to be fair, he's slightly restrained. It still sounds like Number Girl. There have been bands he's turned up at, and their sound has totally disappeared. But now we're moving into 2000. Uh, sapukai, which translates as tastelessness.
1: Yeah, I understood they now- wanted to call it Schoolgirl Sapukai. Did they? <laughs> no.
0: Um, and now Sorry. it's an album that the nostalgia's gone. It's an album he's starting to rant and rave about uh, urban squalor and pessimism and the, the, the optimism of, his, of the nostalgic tracks and the, the Huskadoo in, uh, indie Pixies vibe is sort of starting to disappear. I mean, it's not where they're going to end up, but it's definitely a marked change for them. I mean, musically, things start to really shift here. Um, Nick. Nick. You said earlier on three and four were where you started to warm. I had you yeah. penned at four. In my head, four was where I was going to get you.
1: <laughs> no, no. For me, for me, the one that I've gone back to the most has been, has been three. Um, in fact, to the, to the extent where it's like, you know, as, as temporary fandom sort of immersions go, it's only four records. So I've been constantly saying, look, it's not difficult, Nick. You can, you, can, you know, get, get your head into these records. And I kept going back and listening to this one again, but constantly thinking I should really be listening to the others because I know this one now. But anyway, I I just I I genuinely like this album. It's my it's my favorite of the four albums. Um it's just to, just to my ear a lot more interesting stuff going on. The songs have interesting textural things happening. Um maybe a little bit of sort of a post-punk sound which is kind of, you know, as you know, more in my sort of comfort zone. But um and also it's kind of when I first sort of started to really like it, it was the latter half of the record that really grabbed me as well. It was one of those things where you're about halfway through and you know, it's like, yeah, more of this band you want to make me listen to. And then suddenly something clicked, and it was around uh, Tattoo. Uh, Tattoo into uh, Sapukai, the, the title track. Love it. Love, love the guitar sounds on those tracks. Um, and there's a kind of wobbly cacophony going on through, through a lot of the songs. that I just, yeah, love it. It's great. I think you're right about those
0: tracks going into each other. And also I've got, what is it, Zengen versus Undercover, which again, just sounds like a Google Translate. But that is a great, great, great track. Um, Glenn, musically, um, they're definitely shifting towards something else. I don't think they've got to that proto-math that I hear in the, the later album yet. But what do you think that shift is? Is it a band just evolving, maturing? I mean, or... uh,
3: for me, they're getting into a more... I know it sounds obvious because this is, album came out in 2000. We're getting into a more 2000 supposed hardcore sound. Um, uh, I know that sounds really obvious, but um, I don't know. That kind of more gruff, screamy stuff. And, and it's quite an experimentally... Com- in comparison to the first two, it's the production on it's quite experimental, I suppose. like There's not a, a lot of... Um, I think it's on track 4. It's called Urban Guitar Sayonara. Oh yeah. there a saxophone on it. I uh, thought it was, I thought it was a guitar yeah. at first, and, and making that a, weird squealing sound. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I think it's a saxophone. I think it's isn't it? a bit of both. I think it's a guitar and then a sax kind of and you can't really tell which one's which and, and it's, also yeah, a Kato. It's, it sounds a bit like a piano in there, but I'm sure it's Kato, which is like a kind of plucked almost piano style instrument, but you kind of pluck it with a like a pick basically uh
2: yeah, it's kind yeah, of so it's, yeah that saxophone's kind of like no wavy like that kind of like james chant stuff so, yeah. and free oh, jazz yeah, yeah. definitely that like, and it's sort of going on there that's that's for me one of the standout tracks definitely that one. yeah it it's
3: it's interesting for sure i mean there's a lot of really good just heavy post hardcore stuff that i love on that album but the first track is like one of the weakest songs that i've heard that uh, uh, like in their whole repertoire, I was like, this, "This be brutal number, girl." Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. yeah. It's I've just it's got cool. fir- yeah. first track underlined three times. So weak. I was like, "Why? Why did they include this song?" Just start with the second track. It's like I don't know. I just I, think that I just was started, I, felt, I felt like the, yeah. I think it was a single as well. And I was just like, "Why?" Like all of the other tracks on this album are so good, and this one is the one that stands out to me as like a. It just does not sound like a, a song that should be on the album. There's already like twelve songs. Just get rid of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, but you, do you think it's one of those things that, you
0: know, as bands, they, they, they often have things hanging over from previous recording sessions? And often you get a band that go, Oh, well, we didn't put this on the last album, but we worked on it. Yeah,
3: it feels a bit like it could be from that previous era of writing stuff, maybe. But because um, just this this album, Sepuke, sounds way more concise, like songs like that second track and the urban guitar, Sayonara, maybe not as concise. But the track number eight, Ure. I just loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, But um, but I'm feeling very validated. Put put your your best foot forward. Don't (laughs) put your your shittest foot forward. (laughs)
0: Um, I can't remember where it was. I think it was BBC six years ago. There's the whole thing about how with vinyl and with tape, when there was two sides to a record, the second song on the second side was the most important song on an album. It's the one that keeps you going to the end. Like you, you go into side two, there's a there's a great track. And that next one is really, really important. And I do think this album finishes so well. Um, I quite like
3: the opener, but not as much as the rest of the album. But I like the previous two albums. So The thing is, actually, in the previous two albums, the opening tracks, I think, are brilliant. Like Distortional Addict and uh, the first track on uh, Schoolgirl Bye Bye, it's like almost has this really like, Tarantino-y kind of cinematic feel to it. It could be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I thought when I heard the openers to both these. I was like, wow, they really know how to start an album apart from the third album, which they just do it. Tally. And it is only
0: the third album, because when we get to the fourth album, I think the fourth album starts fantastic. Yeah, again. exactly.
3: It's like <laughs> they've got really good at openings and then just couldn't finish them.
0: Oh, Chris just pulled a face. Just, got, the just got a very, I've got opinion. a very
2: strong opinion that could go either way on that opening one of the fourth albums. So uh, I'll, I'll keep it
0: We'll get. We will get to it. We will get to it in a minute. Um apart from from what I can gather at, at the time, this was when they were starting to. They they had their fan base. Um, they were riding their wave of success. Not massive success because this type of music wasn't very popular in Japan commercially at the time. Um, but they had a loyal fan base. They were selling a gig after gig. They were touring. They were touring. They were touring. Um, uh, and they could have just made another one. Um, but what happened? was they went into the studio and two years later came out in 2002 with Noom Heavy Metallic, um, the most experimental album they've done. An album that starts with with him just shouting and then the drums kicking in and then a sort of very intricate guitar pattern coming in. And I I think this is one of my top 20 albums of all time. I think this is wow. such a good album. And even though I love the second album for its nostalgia and its pixies and its do, this album for me is so interesting and has time for Numi Ami uh, Tapsu, which is just a great little three minute him ranting while uh, she plays amazing guitars and there's some funky bass. It's a great, 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 great album. Chris, what is this opinion you have that could go either well, way? Well, I've got
2: two there potentially. Um Wait, is this like choose. Boris
0: Johnson writing two letters about Brexit?
2: Oh, God, I don't know. I'm scared now to say it in case <laughs> so that's, that becomes my legacy in every introduction you know, Chris Johnson Whitby. But has um, anybody... It Just the first song, I don't know if it's of its time, I don't know if it's the recording, but there is. it just sounds exactly like 36 Crazy Fists, the old new metal band. If anyone remembers them, they had this song called Slick Theory. They had this really delay on... It just sounds like new metal that's what i couldn't get over that the, the guitar the, the guitar delay the a kind of weird effect on the snare drum as well and i it's not that i don't like it it's just it just sounds it sounds like new metal and i'm not i this is a whole podcast we have gone for i think new metal isn't as bad as it, everyone it's got its defining moments but anyway let's come back to that but i just think it's i find it really distracting it sounds like new metal i just find it really distracting and I also I'm gonna say my other opinion on other controversial opinion, but I actually like the album. That opening I find really distracting.
0: I like I like it. I mean, I, there might be something f- about somebody just shouting in Japanese uh, and me not knowing what they're saying. That sort of appeals to me at the beginning of this album.
3: I'm um, Uh I just wanted to say uh, there's nothing wrong with new metal. Uh, that's, I'm, I'm with you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I
2: basically these uh, friends of ours are like the we We're trying to bring it back. You know, there's moments in there. There's some great great moments. That's all I'm saying. Again, like. <laughs>
3: Again, I mean,
0: obviously. I mean, obviously, I know exactly what a new metal is, but just for Nick, could you just give us a, a highlight of what class, what's classified <laughs> as new metal?
3: Sort of like Scorpions and um, <laughs> the Eagles. No, no, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's... <laughs> like more like. Go on,
2: Glenn. Sorry, yeah, no. Go right. on.
3: Like Slipknot and Corn oh, and okay, yeah, yeah, tones yeah. and uh, Thirty Six Crazy Fists. There's so so many. Like okay. Two yeah, thousand and one. I what, 2000 to... two thousand seven? Yeah, suddenly, actually, yeah, a bit yeah. longer. Something like
2: that. And I think that's what's weird, because definitely. this came out in 2002, so I would have been in my second year at um, college at the time. So that guitar mm. sound as well, like, I wasn't... Yeah. I would say around that time, I was more into, like, vagrant, drive Through, that kind of more emo thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. But that guitar sound is 2002. That is, you in a minute, someone's going to hit a, a snare, and then it's going to kick off. You know what I mean? That's what's going to (laughs) happen. And I just think, So, I think maybe I've just convinced myself that it made me feel nice. That's what I've convinced myself.
1: (laughs) You're just working through your own inner conflict about new metal. I didn't realise this
2: was musical therapy. Because, you know... No, totally. In a minute, I'm just going to come out with some outrageous opinion, like Chocolate Starfish is the greatest album of all time or
1: something. (laughs) And then burst into tears. (laughs)
3: I think, that, I think we just found our trailer. <laughs> I think like a uh, new metal though, right? Like new metal used to kind of ape a lot of other genres. So it would kind of take hip hop or dub or whatever. And actually uh, this, the first track on heavy, numb, meta- num, heavy, metallic, it's kind of like a dub track.
1: It is right? totally. Very it's just dub-y. like
3: straight up dub. And it almost sounds like uh, a new metal band, you know, in the studio with, One too many bongs or whatever, and then they're like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Like put the put the echo up on everything, but it's not bad. It's just it definitely sounds very of its time. It's like I think there's quite a lot of like emceeing, what you might describe as like Japanese rapping or whatever, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, On the album, yeah. I mean, on this one,
3: I definitely noticed a few bits when I'm like hip hop question mark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is it. It's like on that track I mentioned, New Miami. He basically just rambles on, like callbacks to previous episodes, like a demo Suzuki. Marquis Smith in, in later times. Um, and apparently, lyrically, so this album is just basically the world's gone to shit, everything's gone crazy, fuck everything, and he's just <laughs> going on this sort of rant. But interesting, you talked about all these different sort of reference points at like the dub, etc. In this album, he seems to be bringing in almost a traditional Japanese style of singing. Mm. rather than aping a Western one. Yeah, definitely. And there were, there, there were moments, it reminded me, or not necessarily musically, but um, there's a band, Dengue Fever, who are sort of American-based, but with a Cambodian female singer, and they sort of play 1960s-style Mekong Delta surf rock. Lovely. I but, love the sound of that. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It good. Uh, having this sort of uh, authentic Cambodian-style singing, or in this case, Japanese-style singing, over Western-style music at times. Yeah was an interesting meld for me.
3: They seem to have a kind of uh not pentatonic. I don't know what the name of the scale is that is that kind of Asian sounding scale. I think it's pentatonic, I think. But uh they seem to have like in their lead lines a kind of would you guys agree with that like a kind of Japanese sounding scale in some of the songs? Um I don't know for me this was the album that started just to sound mathy. Mm, okay, um, or
0: or proto mathy. I don't know when did math. You're a math guy. What you, you do the math, Glenn? When did math
3: start? <laughs> um, I would say probably the first, not the first Slint album, but Slint did an album called Spiderland. It was like 1989, uh-huh. yeah. and then that was produced by Steve Albini, who is obviously in Shellac and produced loads of other stuff. But um, I, I would think say definitely
0: that starts to come into this, like guitar wise. Yeah, you can start definitely start to hear these intricate things. I mean, even I. I Delayed Brain. That's my favorite
3: listening. song of theirs. Favorite, favorite song, 100%. Do you want to
0: know why? Because it sounds like yours. <laughs> I was listening to this and I've been watching your soft sound videos and this came on and I was like, who does this remind me of? This reminds me of someone. I was like-
3: Really? That's interesting I that, that you got that. to
0: Sleep. It reminded <laughs> me of your
3: band. <laughs> That's interesting you got that. You know what I wrote for this? I was what? like, I've got Delayed Brain, favorite song. Sounds a bit like Bad, Bad, Not Good or like the beginning of a Dr. Dre song. It almost sounds like you know that song. um, dunk, 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 <laughs> You know how that starts with that really big cinematic. I can't remember the name of the original track, but it's like a really like big band Quincy Jones style, like kind of big band
1: jazz. Song. Yeah, everyone knows the one you mean just from that little snippet you did. Yeah, That's, yeah.
3: Uh, so the beginning of that, and it's like dun dun, 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 dun. Like if that reminded me a this, lot. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me a lot of the beginning of uh, Delayed Brain, and I was just like floored by it. I loved.
2: are we we trying maybe it doesn't sound
3: like anything else they did are
2: we trying to remember the dr dre song are we trying to remember where he got that riff from
3: well i can't remember where it is but i know it's like a big band jazz song Uh, that's really cool it's next
2: episode isn't it that's what you're humming
3: that's the that's the yeah all right okay sorry but it's that sample it's the same bit of that gung 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 gung. it kind of reminded me that the intro almost like it could have been like tortoise or something yeah that's I think that's what I had. This, I, I, my
2: comment was they're just wrestling with different sounds. But it's like, it's not that it's a problem. It's just like, there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot going on. I suppose you, this, I hadn't really made that link to the math rock thing. I suppose it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? There's loads going on and you know, sometimes it can sound, you're pulling from everywhere. And I don't think it's a, um, I think it's a good thing. My other controversial opinion, which I'm gonna give at this point is, and I don't know, is this a Dave Friedman produced album as yep. well? Just some of the yep. guitar riffs sound exactly like Maroon 5. It's <laughs> just this, like, really weird, like, I did, it's just a very particular high-end guitar sound that they've got a point, and it just really sounds like some of those funky kind of... Um, mm. there's not that the riff is fair, fair to them, there's just something about the production I just kept hearing Maroon 5. And, I, and again, it didn't, didn't put me off them, so it can't be that bad, but there's just something about the production, again, that I just found... The whole album sounds like someone trying to make a monumental album that's going to be big and it's going to be everywhere, but you just end up with a weird production to it, which means, I don't know, there's something about it.
0: I did see one of the descriptions I was reading, and this was described as their Abbey Road. Yeah. um, Basically, let's go into the studio, do all the things... That we've never been able to do.
2: All the layers
3: on. Yeah.
0: But everything on. yeah, everything, turn, turn everything up. <laughs> Should we have a bassoon? Yeah, bassoon. That would be great. <laughs> we need a biggest... We need more of a sense of dread. Do you reckon, <laughs> do you reckon if you
2: do, like, alt-rock, there's the per- an album you get to where you inevitably go full Billy Corgan? That's it. you just, like, 17 <laughs> guitar tracks, every kind of sound, everything. It's
3: definitely it's definitely what they've done there. Yeah. As in, they get more and more and more produced. That's probably why Distortional Addict is, like, their... Uh, the kind of classic go-to just because it's like perfectly in between like rough kind of almost demo recording college rock and then mm-hmm. the, the bed like more concisely written tracks better produced it's, it's kind of in the middle of everything in the, on that spectrum you know
0: i think i think but i think chris you, you, you totally hit on the head by saying billy corgan the early stuff is early smashing pumpkins and then this is what mellow and the infinite sadness. And in 10 years mm. time, the lead singer is going to appear on um, conspiracy theory, right-wing radio. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's definitely an arc that they seem to be following. Um, but yeah. But this apparently like surprised all the critics when it came out. It wasn't what people were expecting. The fans still loved it. Um, they, they, they weren't a band that sort of just disappeared the, the bassist, um, said, "I've had enough. I'm going to go." And they all went. Well, let's just call it quits. They played some final shows, and on their very final show, their very final song, they played the first song from the first album, Omoide, in my uh, in my in my brain. And they were, they, the crowd are just in tears. You know, it's, I mean, none of this politeness. They've done the cheering, and then you can just see tears streaming out these Japanese indie kids' faces. Of like, they they finished exactly where they wanted to with a. Really, quite sweet little bit of um, symmetry. Can I just? I think.
2: You know the album cover, right? So the last album is it? How do you pronounce it? It's got quite abstract cover, right? It's black, but it's got like yeah. a white line on it. And this one, they've gone back to the. Uh, few questions need to be raised. I feel like they should flip the album covers around. I feel like that black abstract cover would work better on this album, and the last album should have the um, the more questionable one, and then they could just left that behind as well, do you know what I mean? So it's like, those two albums, the, the album, you know, I just think the album doesn't, it jars a bit. That's my feeling. That album cover, yeah. this album, doesn't really work. It doesn't really fit the kind of, what's going on with it. Just the
3: cover,
0: plus,
2: you mean? Yeah, the cover, yeah. I mean,
0: plus also lyrically, apparently in 2002, there were no Japanese bands uh, sang social criticism. And apparently this album is all sort of social critique. Everything's going wrong. Society's falling apart, blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't really a thing. It wasn't sort of a dumb thing to do. Okay. Um, all right. So, I mean, Number Girl, they had their, they had their run. They finished, well, pretty much uh, on, a, on a bit of a high. Um, but... They seem to be a band that are often cited as a legacy act in Japan, despite the fact that, I mean, I'd never heard of them. Everyone here had not heard of them until we sort of, they they turned up sort of at our doorstep, so to speak. Um, Now, we did the math thing. The the lead singer lead guitarist went off and and formed the Zazen boys, who are pretty mathy. Uh, they all sort of went off and joined various little bands, and have been around. Some were indie, some were funky, some were a bit more metally. Um, Glenn, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you because I know that um, you toured with uh, a band who often cite uh Number Girl as a major
3: influence. Um, I, not,
0: I, we had a pronunciation discussion. That's beforehand. right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone in the UK would call them Tricots, I suppose. Tricots, Trico, but uh, yeah. I mean, in Japan, they're always like Trico, but um, yeah, Tricot, Trico, whatever. Trico is what I, I say. But um, um, can you, I mean, do, are they as big an influence as these I mean, man? Like listening to Number Girl, I was really like, wow, like that. This band are actually reminding me of loads of bands that I've played with or that I like, like either bands that I've listened to for years, Japanese bands, um, or just it like. Yeah, there must, it must be such a pervasive influence for Number Girl because it really is, uh, I mean, there's so many notes that I wrote when I'm like, wow, this is like, like a real vintage kind of Japanese sound, like super high gain Fender tones and really airy, like Tom heavy drums, uh, almost uncomfortably. So like even in distortion, like, sometimes the room sound is so much that you're like, like bloody hell, you feel like you're kind of in the. Room in some ways, which is, you know, it's a great effect. But yeah, this band, Trico, have the same kind of. I mean, so you were talking about the inf- like what it reminded you of, Chris, uh, uh Heavy Numb Metallic. And it can't, this actually reminded me of a band that I don't really know at all very well. And it's like Mike Watt and the men and that kind of no, uh, slightly like speedy, funky guitar sound that they would sometimes get. And I know that uh, when I was listening to. Um, heavy non-metallic or any of these other albums I was like wow they remind me a lot of light uh, which is a Japanese band and I know that that band love Mike Watt and the Minutemen I don't even know Mike Watt and the Minutemen that much but I was listening being like hmm I guess this is what it might sound it must sound like because light sound <laughs> a lot we'll do, like we'll this. do an episode for you yeah please do <laughs> the we did do them we've on done face, we've the done the Minutemen yeah yeah because yeah. they became now, I do like bits that I've heard and so on. And, you know, I, I like what my Watt kind of stands for from that band. But uh, mm-hmm. I just think that there's so many crossovers here between like underground American music and Japanese music that even, I don't know, playing practice room shows or whatever. I'm I'm listening to this, but ba- I'm retrospectively going back in my mind thinking like, oh, my God, this that band was Number Girl, like, like rip off, basically. And at the time I was like, wow, that's amazing. But... Yeah, it's quite an impressive uh, influence I think. I wonder if you could trace that kind of roomy drum sound, high gain Fender sound to Number Girl because it's like 97, so it's way before anything yeah. that I've I've been listening to. I mean, it did
0: sound like just it just seemed like they imported the sort of US post-hardcore but melodic, sort the, the melodic side of the post-hardcore um into into Japan where it didn't seem to exist. And then as they evolved, they brought in other Japanese sounds and what and new metal and and whatnot. Um but it does seem from what I can gather that this was the band that influences influences the bands that come after. Almost like the
3: Pixies are the band that lots of people go, oh no no no. It's because of the Pixies. I mean I sent quite a few messages out to friends in Japan who are in bands or doing whatever they're doing. And you know I, I sent maybe five out. Two of them got back to me really quickly being like, man, everyone knows number girl. Like everyone mm-hmm. our age and I'm what thirty four, thirty three. Sorry, thirty three. Uh, he was like, yeah, everyone our age knows number goal. It's like the kind of starter band for alt rock people. Okay. Wow Wow, <laughs> people in their thirties, that is you know, but yeah, I thought that was quite a big uh a big claim from a, a band that even on Spotify, like it's not th- that popular, you know what I mean and I know yeah. you can't base everything on that, but I'm sure that's the weird so I did. that
0: is the weird thing like they don't they seem to be massive massive in Japan, mm. Um, they had, they did tour the US. Everyone ignored them. Um, they got onto various Rolling Stone lists, like coming out of Asia. Um, but then, uh, but then I think maybe because they were only around up until 2002, and then they sort of disappeared. Yeah. Japanese musicians have held them up as this influence, and in the West, we've just gone, "What? Who?" Yeah. And it was only the fact that they reissued stuff that I found out about them. It wasn't because I was. I mean, I've gone down to the Japanese. Music rabbit hole since, but I didn't find them because I'm a lover of Japanese alt rock or indie rock or whatnot.
1: But also, when you look on Spotify, I mean, there's like hundreds of compilations, like B sides and God knows what albums, and that's that's an instant sign that this is a band with massive cult appeal that are being bled dry.
0: Um, but that's it. There, there is they released Omiode uh, in My Head, which was sort of B sides and live tracks, mm-hmm. um, and then there was they released number two, number three, number four. Yeah, this seems like EMI did this.
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah. To be honest, there's not a lot of great stuff on there, but there is an amazing, amazing cover of um, "Wave of Mutilation" by the Pixies yeah. um, on one of them, and also the cover of them playing "Substitute" um, on, a, on a live track. I think it's on the fourth one as well. But you've got to okay. really go into it. It was obviously, well, they've gone.
3: Um, yeah.
0: People still like them. Uh, what? What have we got in this box? <laughs> what have we got that yeah, nobody's absolutely. heard yet? Let's rule them <laughs> out um weirdly weirdly if you're listening to this now um a year and a half ago they decided they were going to reform um in the in in the words of the lead singer um he said we're having a call i was pretty drunk we need the money um decided to reform and tour obviously covid kicked in um and everything's been put on hiatus but they are apparently coming back to do a sort of asian an asian tour and who knows what goes on what comes out of that i mean Mm. I think they're great. I mean, the first two I like just because I like that type of music. The second two I think are genuinely good album. And it is nice to be able to find a band that existed, disappeared, that I never heard of. I
2: think it's, I think that, it's interesting as well because just go back to the last album with it being 2002. So again, that was a year in which I was definitely reading Enemy a lot. I got Melody Maker, Koran. you know, as I was at college, so I was well into buying all that sort of stuff. And I was just trying to think, you know, that's an album that I would have probably liked. But I was trying to think are there other Japanese bands, alt rock bands, that were being pushed at that time. And the only two that I could think of were the Polisics or Polisics, who I think that these actually toured with when I was reading on Wikipedia. So it's P O L, S Y, I C S and Mad Capsule Markets.
3: They were the I was thinking mad capsule markets. Yeah, Market they're well. the
2: two people were trying to push at that time. Particularly with Mad Capsule Markets, the framing of them was basically, Dear UK, you've never heard something so mental as this. Do you know what I mean? It was a definite kind of different vibe they were trying to push whereas where this is an album that's really good it couldn't be branded in that kind of quirky kind of way of saying and i i don't know if that's i made a big statement no, there that, but I, I, I
0: think i think you've touched on something there i mean a, a lot of the things about bands that are, are marketed to coming out of japan so like, oh there's baby metal oh there's so much oh look these are crazy crazy things that we don't have over here and then there's, oh, here's a Japanese band playing sort of music that came out of America and doing it very well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I
2: think that's it. And like going back and I'm going to use a phrase, which I know is not a phrase, people like the whole like Japan noise thing. You know what I mean? It's like, again, you always want it to be, it's all like screeching and kind of chaotic and not being able to brand this band as being like that, but a band that just wrote good songs or a bit experimental, we didn't really help them in some ways because it's like a lot of kind of like the Western music press can only kind of you in a certain way and if you don't fit in that way then you fall off the wayside don't you you have to be whatever that and particularly that time the 2000 2002 time it's all like every man for himself wasn't it
0: (laughs) also also the the uk press was too busy pushing the strokes and the white stripes that was about 2002 so Mm. that was and and
3: razor light let's not forget (laughs) i read i read (laughs) It's funny
0: you mentioned the
2: Strokes. I read something today where someone said, everyone forgets the Strokes are really posh. And I thought, no one has forgotten that, surely. You know, they were, like, <laughs> <"That's>, like, <laughs> yeah. they were like the most kind of, anyway, it's a different story for another reason. But yeah, it's just interesting when you think about that time. And I just really remember that framing of those bands. as like, almost like when Slipknot went on Five Friday. It's like, you never know what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? It's like, just interesting for that time that they could have been massive I think.
3: I think it's interesting what you say about um, mad capital markets that they were framed as this, like, you've never seen anything as extreme as this. Like the thing with um, Number Girl is that they're quite a vocal driven band and bands like that weren't really. And I think it's always, it's not always going to hold you back, but the bands that f- just, like as an example, the bands that I know and love from Japan, they're mostly instrumental. Like most of them have no vocals, even though musically it actually sounds quite similar. A lot of it to Number Girl. It's just that, Mama Girl has those vocals, which obviously for a Japanese like college kid, it's probably everything, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that's it. They 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 are. I mean, even as a lead singer, he's he he's not he doesn't look cool. I mean he's he looks like a supply teacher, and a geography supply teacher, which I guess the Pixies also have that aesthetic as well. Like Weezer like as well. Francis,
3: hmm? Weezer as well. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. Like there's a cool band around him, and then there's just this guy with glasses and a shirt. Um sort of Leading, leading the way. Um, I think it's probably a good time to wrap up at this point. Um, we've Hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, and particularly if you've either listened via the Spotify playlist or you've gone and looked on Spotify um, or YouTube for the first album, you have discovered a band that you did not know existed. Um, and hopefully you can take away at least one or two albums from that. Um, and it is the essence, I guess, of temporary fandoms that sometimes you are going to find something you didn't know and you can be a temporary fan. Um, we will be returning next time with someone more popular, uh, someone you've probably heard of. Um, but we haven't recorded that yet, so we'll just not say who that is at this point. Um, so I would like to thank Glenn Hodgson for his favourite song being the song that sounded most like his band. Thanks. <laughs> yes, thanks for <coming laughs>
3: up. thanks uh,
0: everybody. Chris, it's been great having you back. Uh, can you wave the notebook again? <laughs> That's for the YouTube. We don't have a YouTube. And Nick. Cheers. See you later. Bye.
1: Thank you first and foremost to my more commercially leaning co-host Ewan. That description from a review on Podchaser by Stephen Kilroy. Thank you, Stephen. It amused me enormously. So long as you remember to give us five stars and a glowing review, it's okay to troll Ewan. In fact, I promise you, it's a lot of fun. Why not try it yourself? Seriously, though, Ewan's been itching to introduce us to Number Girl for a while now, and it's been great. Thanks for all your hard work, and thank you also to our guests, Christopher Whitby and Glenn Hodgson of Delta Sleep. We look forward to welcoming you both back to the podcast again soon. Thanks, as always, to Jonathan Fisher for our theme music, and until next time, I'm Nick Hilditch, and I know. I know the bystanders, I see. I see the tasteless truth.